Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm privileged to welcome a very, very accomplished and senior professional from Staten Island, New York, USA, Mr. Paul Burton. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Ashutosh. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. Paul is a journalist and an author. He's an author, and all of you know I'm very, very partial to authors. He's an author of two books, Fiascos and Foibles, An Unfiltered Look at Public Finance, Media, Politics, and Sports. And second one uh, is Tales from the news Newsrooms, An Offbeat Look. So, Paul, before we start talking about your book, uh, tell me a little bit about your own journey. Well, I guess the song about a long and winding road is appropriate. Uh, I began taking a high school journalism course in mm -hmm. Boston where I grew up. And 45 years later, I was covering, uh, I, I had two editorships related to coverage of Wall Street. And at the end of the 45 years, I'll admit, mm -hmm. I had very little hair and a lot of stomach medicine. Amazing. But it was all in all a great run. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I came from a working family. I did not go to Harvard, Duke, or Stanford and prance right into the Wall Street Journal of the New mm. York Times. Mm. I worked for many small to me to medium-sized outlets, and we loved punching above our weight levels. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of political coverage early, then got into sports. I was uh, editor-in-chief of a sports magazine in Hartford, Connecticut. Mm. And I, over the years, and I was also a sports editor in upstate New York, but I morphed into business. I think my primary motivation, Ashutosh, was that uh, I was working a different time zone than the rest of the world and my mm. personal life suffered. You know, mm. the old work-life balance. Absolutely right. I went into business because I wanted to work daylight hours. But the move to business worked out well. I mm. became a senior level editor at a mergers and acquisitions oriented financial media company called The Deal. Mm -hmm. And our owner was the late uh, corporate deal maker, Bruce Wasserstein. Mm -hmm. And uh, after The Deal, I became Northeast regional editor of a uh, trade publication called The Bond Buyer, mm -hmm. which covers public finance ranging from municipal bonds, mm -hmm. state and city budgets unfunded pension liability, distressed communities. Uh, we gave extensive coverage, for example, to the Detroit, uh, Puerto Rico, and Central Falls, Rhode Island bankruptcies. Mm -hmm. So we covered a wide gamut and uh, all in all a great run, I'm happy to Amazing. say. Amazing. So one more question, uh, and that is, you know, when I was reading about you, you, you say that you are critical of any dumbed down approach to schooling. Help me understand what you mean. Well, as I said, I grew up uh, with blue collar parents who insisted that I speak and write correctly because in so many words mm -hmm. that uh, it, it, that will open doors and windows for you, windows of opportunity. Uh, Dad used to say to me when I was a kid, don't talk like a moron. Mm -hmm. And uh, we need to raise students up to the standards and not bring them down. Right. We have an, a, a crisis in the United States. Uh, I think it is one out of every three children cannot one of our, one of every three children cannot read at basic level wow. we ought to start with the basics reading math 
two plus three equals five. It does not equal six. Mm. Start with that. I think the trend towards STEM education is very good. I think that is a step in the right direction. You know, Thomas Jefferson uh, once said, uh, being informed helps us remain free. That mm. resonates uh, with me. Yeah. And also, you know, beyond that, I think teaching kids to communicate, speaking and listening, and even taking media and communications courses help. Mm -hmm. And what comes to mind is uh, an infrastructure executive that I know. Mm -hmm. uh, he's very successful. He runs his own company now. He used to work for Skanska. And 30 years ago, he and I worked in the same newsroom in Kingston, mm -hmm. New York, small town, the county rag, as we call it. Mm -hmm. And uh, years later, he said working in media benefited him because he learned to probe and investigate and not take things at face value and to think. How amazing. How amazing. And you know, your example of what your dad told you was exactly what my grandfather told me. When I was very young, he would make me sit down and copy the English editorial from one of the largest circulated newspapers because he said uh, it'll help you improve your English. So absolutely right. So Paul, let's now talk about your book, Fiascos and Foibles, an unfiltered look at public finance, media, politics, and sports. And I'm going to ask all our viewers and listeners to go and check Mr. Paul Burton's book on Amazon. I'm going to do the same. If you have it, you, yeah, there you are. You can see the book there. Thank you, Paul. So tell me what was your motivation to write this book and what has been your hypothesis when you wrote it? Well, I didn't really have a hypothesis. I went, uh, went through it with an open mind, but I wanted to follow up on that first book, Tales from the Newsrooms. Mm -hmm. Tales was a fun read. It was whimsical. It was filled with funny newsroom anecdotes, mm -hmm. but I knew I could do better. And this one has more meat on the bones. Mm -hmm. And um and I encountered so much, my, my last 10 years, I covered public finance for the bond buyer. Mm -hmm. And I encountered so, mu so much drama, missteps and intrigue. I found myself re saying to myself over and over again, you can't make this stuff up. Mm -hmm. And I said, I got to do a book. Mm -hmm. I got to do a book. Things like the New York Metropolitan Transportation Authority, which mm -hmm. uh, operates the buses and subways uh, here in New York City. Mm -hmm. um, it took them 100 years to build the Second Avenue extension, and they only have four subway stops mm -hmm. after 100 years. They opened a, a, a new wind Grand Central Terminal, but mm -hmm. they had to build it several stories underneath street level mm -hmm. because the MTA's own units, Long Island Railroad and uh, Metro North Railroad, constantly feud over track space. I mean, the mm -hmm. tribalism among the, the yep. transportation agencies in New York is legendary. Mm -hmm. We also had um, the Harrisburg debt crisis involving Pennsylvania's capital city. In fact, that was early in my run on the bond buyer. And uh, my, newsroom's my newsroom colleagues called me Mr. Harrisburg because mm -hmm. I was going up there so often. Okay. But you had a debt crisis that put the city on the brink of bankruptcy that started with a $25 million loan for an incinerator retrofit, mm -hmm. and it spiraled into $350 million of debt mm -hmm. and a lot of finger pointing, and you had conflict among state and city and county mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. major creditors. 
We also had uh, the Rhode Island bond mm. financing fiasco known as 38 Studios, in which mm. uh, retired baseball pitcher Kurt Schilling tried to cash in on his celebrity. Mm. Rhode Island was desperate for an economic revival, mm. and they basically gave out a $100 million loan, and the company went belly up, and Rhode mm. Island taxpayers got uh, stuck with the debt. Mm. You know, some somebody who bought my book when it first came out said, it's she saw the words public finance in the uh, title. She says, mm-hmm. "Well, I understand it." Mm-hmm. Well, the answer is a resounding yes. First of mm-hmm. all, I wrote it in plain English. It is not numbers driven. And later on in our show, we'll get into the whole "don't drown in numbers" thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was always a disciple in writing of Strunk and White, the elements of style, be mm-hmm. concise, use active voice. Mm-hmm. And even though a lot of it is about business, this politics and humanity and colorful biting sarcasm Mm -hmm. and uh some of our readers said that some of the anecdotes had them laughing out loud okay the media is is only one component of the book i also Mm -hmm. added chapters about the open office plans in which businesses uh largely a real estate play forcing employees to sit in what resembles middle school cafeterias Mm -hmm. you can't get work done because of the distractions and I also had a uh, compelling chapter called The Technoid Scourge. It is mm-hmm. not an older person's rant about technology, mm-hmm. but a cautionary tale for all while acknowledging some of the technological gains. Correct. And uh, basically, I took notes the last three years uh, of my work mm-hmm. and recycled some old Bond Buyer articles, but I also relied on muscle memory, which I'm blessed to have, even though I'm almost 69 years old. Wonderful. Well, you're, you're only three years older than I am. So, <laughs> um, so you know, when you were giving me the examples of public officials mismanaging uh, funds, whether it's the railroad or anything else, what do you think are some of the root causes of such mismanagement? And what could be done to prevent it? Okay, uh, I don't think we have enough checks and balances these days. Um, People in, at the local level, for example, people in power, such as mayors and city managers, like to thank uh, people, their cronies, their benefactors with contracts. That includes professional services, such as uh, bond council, uh, investment firms, uh, in insurance brokerage contracts. Okay. I think some of the things we can do, um, we can change, for example, change auditors every few years instead of hiring these professionals for yeah. a lifetime. Uh, kind of a form of term limits for the professional mm-hmm. services. Mm-hmm. And I think we can, We also need to have adequate funding of oversight agencies, such as a state o- uh, auditor's office. Mm-hmm. I know uh, Pennsylvania, I believe, cut back on the auditor's funding, which is very, very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And I think media, co- media cutbacks have hurt. And uh, my favorite person in public finance, Richard Ravitch, a, new, a longtime New York City power broker, brought this up in one of my podcasts. He said there are not as many media eyeballs scrutinizing everything, especially now with the national thing. Everyone's about Trump and Biden and Tucker Carlson and Don yeah. Lemon. And yeah. Not enough uh, scrutiny, down and dirty scrutiny at the local level. Mm-hmm. Media companies have cut back. And that has not been uh, good for any of us. Mm-hmm. Another factor, and this comes to mind, my chapter on the municipal uh, bid rigging, uh, the, the the bid rigging trial, mm-hmm. municipal bond bid rigging trial. You need airtight prosecution uh, in this uh, federal municipal bond bid rigging trial, U.S. v. Carollo, Grimm, and Goldberg. Mm-hmm. 
looks like the prosecutors dropped the ball in the statute of limitations. Mm -hmm. So you need to have prosecutions that are not as, uh, not as, uh, they need to have more of your time. Mm -hmm. Great response. Thank you. One of your chapters also focuses on the intersection of politics and sports. Uh, I'd love to get your perspective on what are some of the significant uh, findings or significant comments that uh, you have seen and uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I go back to when I was a 19-year-old city hall reporter in Boston and Boston is a, a sports-crazed city. And one politician said to me, politics is the number one spectator sport here. Okay. So uh, <laughs> sports today has gotten so complex. And I think the 24-hour news cycle has uh, played into that. We'll discuss this later in our show. Yeah. But sports today involves gambling legislation, labor law. Mm. Um, the colleges are getting into legalities about name, image, and likeness, NIL. If you buy a jersey with a football player's name on it, how much royalty does the uh, player get? Mm. We had uh, pandemic politics regarding uh, the rescheduling of college and professional events, mm. franchise relocation. We have the Oakland A's baseball team about to move to Las Vegas, which is now a growth city in sports and the whole issue of professional sports getting in bed with the Las Vegas gambling crowd. Mm -hmm. That's a whole uh, series of stories unto itself. Stadium financing. Uh, and all with the 24-hour news cycle. Sports, I'm going to bring this up, sports forces you to improvise. And I'm very blessed to have that strong sports background. Mm -hmm. Early in my career, I was stereotyped. A lot of us were stereotyped as dumb jocks because we covered sports. Yeah. And uh, sports is, uh, again, Spike Lee. The actor and activist said, "Sports is the greatest because he can't because because it can't be scripted." Mm -hmm. And a colleague of mine once said that uh, sports and people with backgrounds in sports journalism and crime coverage the, that forces you to be quick on your feet. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know as a sports editor, I had to, two or three times I had to change pages depending on who won or lost baseball's World Series. And how the decisive game seven went, went into extra innings and you would one set of headlines. And this is the old paste up board days. This was before digital. You had to have one set of headlines and photos if Minnesota wins mm -hmm. and another if, if Atlanta wins. Mm -hmm. That forces you to be quick on your feet. And that has helped me go uh, in finance and other kinds of journalism as well. Fascinating. You also talk, Paul, about the impact of technology on different aspects of society. And you did uh, talk a little bit about it uh, a few minutes back. What do you think are some of the most significant ways in which technology has transformed uh, politics, sports, and so on? Tech is a blessing and a curse. There are two, two sides to the coin. Uh, we can process news more quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember covering... Uh, New York, former New York Mayor Bill de Blasio's budget uh, briefings at City Hall, mm -hmm. very cramped, crowded room with my laptop on me, filing the story as he was giving the briefing and also designing a pie chart graphic, mm -hmm. all instant turnaround that we got the news out there very quickly. That's mm -hmm. great. Uh, we also uh, did on location videos from the City Hall Rotunda. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a, that's kind of a nice novelty for those of us who have backgrounds in print mm -hmm. uh, mostly. So that's all, all good. Uh, a little bit on the negatives, uh, there's a little too much of a hurry up mindset in, in media. Mm -hmm. uh, as, as a former colleague said to me the other day, nobody copy edits anymore. Mm -hmm. 
people post things quickly. Uh, you see more typos, you see more inaccuracies. I know when I was a copy chief at the deal, mm -hmm. I had a designated person who would back read the top top front page stories for, for the PDF edition, the top four or five stories. And I would have her just look at those and catch it. You may have a typo somewhere along the mm -hmm. line, but not having your top stories. Yeah. I think uh, newsrooms also, um, there are too many uh, tech bureaucrats and not enough uh, uh, genuine journalists. And mm. this is not an anti-tech rant. I think mm. tech in, in its right doses is wonderful, but tech mm. bureaucracies to me are pestilence. Absolutely. You see people walking down the corridors, they're bumping into you because they're talking on their, their iPhones, they talk in their own language. I remember when my company, uh, my our, our parent company, Source Media, changed its name, uh, the parent co company's name to Horizon, mm -hmm. and I asked somebody, "What do I do? When will I get my new email address? Do I uh, do I do something myself and hit a button, or will you folks do it?" And she said to me, "Your brand hasn't migrated yet." Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, uh, birds fly south, or that birds migrate to the south during the winter. Does, does my brand migrate mm -hmm. to the south? I got a little sarcastic, but it was to get my point across. Yeah. Um, we have to differentiate between analytics as one tool versus the only tool. Mm. And I, I want to add something else, Ash, mm. is that those of us above 50 get labeled as dinosaurs. And I think mm -hmm. that's so wrong because people in our age group have had to be more adaptive uh, because the bulk of innovation has occurred in our lifetimes. Correct. And also uh, one positive I see is that coverage of tech has become less fawning. Mm. Uh, there used to be those early days in which, uh, gee, aren't ping pong tables nice and, 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 and praise for every new gadget. And as one tech writer said, we've been burned. Yep. So, so I think there's more critical coverage of tech, and I think that's good. Very good. Very good. Uh, so let me now move to a few questions about you, uh, your, your avatar as a journalist. You know, you've had a long career as a financial journalist and editor. In your opinion, what are some of the biggest challenging challenges facing financial journalism today? And how can we ensure that the public has access to accurate and unbiased financial journalism? Unbiased is a challenge these days because it right. seems that everyone has an opinion. You right. have uh, at the national level, you have Fox News too far to the right and CNN yeah. too far to the left. Mm -hmm. And uh, going back to the, the numbers thing of financial journalism, rule one, and I used to tell this to younger people, the, the kids from the tabloids who were suddenly covering budget stories would ask mm -hmm. for my advice and I, I was flattered. Don't drown in numbers. Mm -hmm. Uh, for every number, there is political and human context. There are human beings and there are political stories, stories and sub-stories behind that. Don't make it all about numbers. And I think that's important for people to for transitioning to financial journalism, yeah. starting out in financial journalism. And also, this is important with staff shortages in media. A lot of mainstream people who might be covering crime or transit might have to double up on business coverage mm -hmm. because, the, because their staffs are short and they have to do an unexpected business story. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a funny anecdote from my coverage of the MTA. There was a TV reporter who used to work for the tabloids, excellent reporter, very great investigative skills, but he hated doing budget stories. Mm -hmm. And when the MTA came out with its four-year financial plan, it, it would all be in the media room and had 
uh, he'd rant about bleep these budget stories, I hate them. And an MTA representative said to him, so with a kind of a smirk on his face, uh, he said, New York One didn't hire you to cover train wrecks. They hired you to, to cover thoughtful, serious stories about finance. Mm. And Jose looks at the guy and says, but I don't know how to add. Mm. <laughs> um, but uh, you have to counter the number stereotype. I think business news has gotten more creative. Uh, we don't wear bow ties and we don't use $50 words anymore. Mm. And in terms of the bias, I think social media has hurt because now social media has given everyone uh, an opportunity to have an opinion. And I would like to see journalists think of less of themselves as advocates. You can write and announce with a little bite, uh, but you can do so with less of a, less of a slant. Mm. And uh, I think also a challenge for financial journalism is the uh, 24-hour news cycle as right. well. I did a, I had a desk editor's job in Parsippany, New Jersey, and we had to close the business pages at eight o'clock. Mm. Now business news is happening around the clock, whether it's mergers or mm. revelations and people are trying to scoop each other, what's going to happen at the Fed meeting. So there's been been more pressure and that's reflective of media as a whole, the 24 well hours. Well said. Paul, you also touch on the role of media in shaping public opinion. Um, how do you think media has evolved over the years and what impact has it had on public uh, political discourse? Oh, we, we touched on this a little bit, the 24-hour news cycle, um, the excessive bias, uh, the role of social media. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, from a corporate point of view, we have corporate media that's a little distant from the news gathering, and that has um, uh, created kind of a disconnect at times. Uh, I see more uh, technocrats in the C-suite um, with uh, sketchy fad titles such as chief people officer, mm -hmm. chief experience officer, mm -hmm. director of research intelligence. I think to retain people, and I say this because at a lot of media outlets, there's a conga line going out the door. Mm -hmm. uh, they got to treat people better. And, and okay. media companies are notorious for firing people on airport tarmacs forcing self-flagellating memos when a correction was on you. Wow. And also uh, a couple of places I worked where they wrote phony negative reviews because they didn't feel like giving out raises. Amazing. So, uh, and, and we can go tech this, tech that, but I still see the old Charles Dickens mindset when it comes to media treating its people. Amazing, amazing. So Paul, I have time for two more questions. Sure. Uh, my next question is that, and this is about you, You've covered a wide range of topics in your career, you know, business, finance, um, politics, sports. Is there any one particular area that you found very interesting uh, or challenging to cover and why? Well, I think morphing into finance was very good. And uh, I found that finance is not uh, as dull as it, uh, people made it out to be. Mm -hmm. There was a time when sports with stocks and bonds and Irving R. Levine would get on NBC with his bow tie and talk in a monotone. Mm -hmm. And uh, Irving R. Levine was a very accomplished person, but his bow tie and his, his shtick did kind of represent the dullness of business at the time. Okay. Uh, I think early on, the Wall Street Journal had things like Personal Journal, which I think mm. was good and it kind of branched out. 
uh, business uh, at the deal, when we covered M&A, we did it with, with a very creative bent. Mm. And at the bond buyer, I tried to set a tone as a regional editor that we're not just going to cover bond sales until the cows come home. Mm. So finance and business now isn't just numbers and stocks and bonds. It intersects with politics, mm. sports, uh, even social justice coverage. It's become much more diverse and it's become much more fascinating. Mm. And I had no problem morphing over from sports to uh, business and finance. Amazing. And my last question, Paul, and this is for many, many, many people who will listen to our conversation. Based on your incredible journey as a journalist uh, and uh, all the work that you've done across so many different sectors, what would you say are three lessons you would want our viewers and listeners to take away from your own journey and from uh, our conversation? Well, I have three that come to mind and it pertains to people in any line of work, whether it's media, uh, think tanks, uh, infrastructure, uh, policy people. Number one is to learn from the people around you, all the people, good, bad, and otherwise. I remember uh, changing jobs and moving to New York State from Connecticut and how I designed pages, I learned a lot from a graphics person in Connecticut. Learn from the people around you everywhere, old, young, uh, mm. doesn't matter who, doesn't matter what country. Mm. Uh, also minimize layers of complexity. I think in any business uh, we tend to, you know, the old KISS principle, keep it simple, yeah. stupid. Yeah. Simple yeah. approaches to problem solving. Mm. Mm. And uh, I think the problems it will be much more manageable. Just yeah. take a simple approach and not uh, a collaboration. I but I differentiate between cooperation and collaboration. Okay. The latter is a dog and pony kind of thing. Mm. And always have a plan B at the ready. And I will uh, conclude with a very anecdotal uh, story. Mm. A, a mm. baseball broadcaster named Vin Scully, who died mm. last year. He broadcast uh, Brooklyn and Los Angeles Dodgers baseball games for what was it, 60, 65 years. Mm -hmm. Early in his career, CBS radio, we're talking about the early 40s, early in his, in the early 1940s, Vin Scully was assigned to do radio for a college football game at Fenway Park in Boston, mm -hmm. early December. He brought a windbreaker and a few loose notes, figuring he was going to be in the press box. Mm -hmm. They put him on the roof of Fenway Park. And his notes blew away. Mm -hmm. so he, he had to broadcast a game not knowing who wore what number, uh, not okay. having all the notes prep. Mm -hmm. He improvised as best he could under the circumstances. Amazing. And his bosses at CBS Radio liked the way he handled himself and his career took off from there. Incredible. What a fascinating story. And on that note, uh, Paul, and your three amazing lessons learn from people around you, good, bad, or whoever they may be, minimize layers, which is the keep it simple, stupid principle, and uh, always have a plan B. Thank you so much for speaking to me about your amazing journey. Thank you for talking to me about your book, Fiascos and Foibles, and thank you for giving us such amazing insights into your journalistic career. Thank you again, and good luck. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. 
do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.